listening to the Thornapple Valley Church Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Our hope is for you to be encouraged and to connect with God during this message. If you'd like to know more about Thornapple Valley Church, visit tvcweb.com. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you all. Glad you're here. And welcome to everybody who's joining us on Facebook Live and online. We're glad that you're with us as well. Hey, I know uh, just a minute ago, Brian said, turn and greet somebody and tell them your name. But why don't you, if you're sitting by somebody, just turn and look at them and say, you look amazing today. Come on, just do that. You look amazing today. And then give them a hug or a kiss or... So I'm watching over here between a husband and wife. Did you say you look amazing? Because she turned to him and pulled something off his face. So now you look amazing. And now it's better. Hey, I, I, obviously, you would know this, but a part of my profession, a big part of my profession is speaking. And I've always found it fascinating to watch how people look at something and then describe it. Because what's amazing is that descriptions of the very same thing can be so massively different when two different people look at it from their angle, whatever that angle is, they'll look at something and they'll see it in a certain way and they'll describe it and you would think they were entirely different things that they're describing. I mean, I've seen this over and over and over uh, over the years. I remember a time, this is uh, way back when uh, there was a youth ministry event at the Hastings campus here, right in this uh, room. It was much smaller back then, but it was in this room and um, they had cleared all the chairs off the side, and they were playing all kinds of games in the middle. And I'd come that evening because I thought, I want to be supportive of everything. One of the games they were playing was where you had to drink a massive amount of water. I cannot remember. It was at least a half gallon. It may have been a gallon that each student that participated had to drink like almost a gallon of water. And then this is what you do. After you drank the gallon of water or, or half gallon or whatever it was, you had to bend over with a baseball bat and put your forehead on the baseball bat like that. Some of you are familiar with this game. And then you spin around as fast as you can and you just keep spinning. And the goal of the game was to see who could spin the longest before they puked on the floor. I'm dead serious. And puke they did all over this auditorium. There were, there were kids puking. Now, let me just ask you a question. What word would you use to describe that event? In fact, just, just yell it out, two or three of you. Dumb, stupid, insane. Who was the youth leader and why is he still alive? You know, that kind of thing. It was so funny, though, because I would use all those descriptors for that. It just, I was watching. I was going, this is the stupidest thing in the world. And then I would have students walk by me and look at me and go, this is so cool. <laughs> you spin until you puke, and that's cool. All right. Really makes you believe in the youth today, doesn't it? I don't, I don't know what to think. But it's true. It's like, it's like, so, so many people see things so differently. And so then when we describe them, descriptions obviously are dependent upon our perspective, the angle that you're looking at it from. So this weekend, I want to talk about an institution that we're all familiar with, either by observation or by experience. And I want you to think about how you would describe it. It is the institution of marriage. So I'm not looking for anybody to yell anything out right now, all right? I just want you to think, how would you describe this? Now, can I just add here that I am uh, this weekend going to be talking about the subject of marriage, but I know some of you may want to check out because you're like, I'm not married, I was, or I'll never be, or whatever it is, you're single at this point in your life. The things that we talk about really will be focused on marriage, but they will be 
usable in all kinds of relationships that have any depth or intensity. So back to this. How would you, in fact, let's do it this way. Let's do a little uh, exercise. I want you to use one or two words to describe what marriage is. Think about what marriage is and use one to two words to describe it. And right now, turn to the person next to you. If you're comfortable, you don't have to. But turn to the person next to you and give them two words that describe marriage. Do that right now. Come on. Turn to them. Tell them two words. Okay, so between you, there should have been four words. Not a whole stinking conversation, all right? I, I've lost you. Just two words. All right, so, so, so those of you who are husbands, sitting next to your wives, I know what you did. You went, amazing and wonderful. <laughs> and you were brilliant in doing so. I commend you for that. But I just wonder if you were sitting next to a buddy and not your wife, would those have been the words you would use? And I think it's a legitimate question. The truth is, is that marriage is extremely hard to capture in two words or in 20 or 50 or 100 because it's complicated. And here's what we know, actually, in the culture that we live in now, the current climate that we live in, marriage is in many ways, and you know this, it's disdained. Now, now, now people, they still have a longing to be connected uh, intimately with others. But in the culture we live in today, marriage is often viewed as, as this, this whole idea of till death do us part kind of an institution that the word marriage implies seems to many people to be extremely outdated and unnecessary. In fact, the truth is many people, when they come of age where they want to share intimacy, their life with someone, because there is a desire for that, these days, more often than not now, people say, let's simply live together. The idea being, we can share, you know, the, we can get the benefits of a shared household. We can have the, you know, the shared uh, physical benefits of having intimacy together. We can have all the things that come from it. But why would we bother with marriage and the implication of long-term commitment when we know it was just going to mess up the breakup when it comes inevitably anyhow. Because so many of us have seen so many marriages that have fallen apart. So it's like, why would I step into that? Let's just live together. Let's just do the best we can while we're together. But we both know it's probably not going to last forever. It's not going to work. So let's not bother with commitment. And I actually understand why people think that way. I don't think anyone could argue that these days the idea of marriage is definitely on the decline. And yet, and yet there is in all of us, almost all of us, an undeniable longing for deep intimacy combined with true commitment. I want to say it again. Within all of us, almost all of us, there is a longing for deep intimacy combined with true commitment, which we would call the idea 
of marriage. There's something in us. We actually dream of it and ache for it. Those of you who are single, one of the biggest pains you feel on a regular basis in your life, you feel the pain of being alone. And it seems like everywhere you go, it's couples that you're watching, it's people who are together, and you feel like the odd person out. And even if you are a single parent and you have children in the home, what you long for is something deeper and something stronger, some kind of an intimate connection that's at a soul level where there is true commitment. And you do, you actually long for that. We, we almost all of us do. Gosh, I remember this is way back when I was in my late teens, like 19, 18, 19, something like that. And I was hanging out with one of my cousins, and he and I, we were in a, this is back when you could drink when you were 18, and he was, he was uh, we were in a bar, and we were playing pool together and, and having a couple beers, and I remember he, he stopped when he was shooting pool, and he looked at me, and he said, you know, he said, I just long to be held by someone. And of course, we're, you know, we're late teens, hot-blooded young men, and I'm like, oh yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. You know, I'm like all this sexual implication, right? And he looked at me, he goes, he just started laughing, he goes, no, no, Jeff. He says, he says, yes, I want sex, and a lot of it. Don't get me wrong. He says, I want that. But then he looked at me, and he got real serious, and I was like, almost felt like it was a little weird, but I'll never forget it. He's like, but I want someone that I could come home to who would hold me and that I could hold and that we could know intimately and that we would spend the rest of our lives together. He said, I want real love in my life. Now, I can't remember my response. I think it was probably something kind of crass, but I knew what he was talking about because I have felt the same thing and almost all of us feel that same thing. And yet the prevailing culture that we live in tells us that this longing, this, this desire for deep deep connection with true commitment. Our culture tells us over and over through media, through things coming at us, the movies we see, everything, that really what that is that we long for is simply sex. That it's about a sexual relationship. Now this is where maybe some of you are going to see my age being revealed here and I'm going to sound like a cranky old buzzard. And I am kind of really, if if the truth be told, but, but you're going to think that maybe but I am stunned at how dramatically the culture has changed just in my lifetime. When I was younger, it was not this way. Today, more often than not, people describe themselves and kind of self-identify. In other words, how they see themselves is based on their sexual orientation. I'm straight. I'm gay. I'm bi. I'm whatever you want to fill in that describes your sexual orientation. And this is almost now a predominance of thinking is that this is how we define ourselves by our sexual attraction. But the truth is, is that down in us, below that physical thing. Now, you need to understand, I want to say this up front. I'm not saying that sex isn't an important thing. It's a huge thing. There's a strong pull in almost every human being towards sexual desire. It is there. But unlike animals in the rut... Human beings carry something deep within them, a desire for soul connection, for a deep connection with another human being that carries with it the idea of long-term, true 
commitment to each other. It's on the inside of us. And folks, this is not something that is just because you live in a certain culture and it's practiced there, or because you've been taught this by your parents. This desire is a universal design issue. It's in human beings. Regardless of culture or rearing, it is inside of us to long for that deep inner soul connection with true commitment. So at one point, Jesus is asked his thoughts on divorce. And I find his response very instructive because it talks to us about who we are. He goes back to the beginning and he says, haven't you read, he's responding now to this question on divorce. He says, haven't you read that at the beginning the creator made them male and female? And he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become, say it with me, one flesh. So they're no longer two, he says, but one flesh. And then he concludes it by saying, therefore, having gone back and talked about the design feature, therefore what God has joined together, let no one separate. In effect, he says, guys, you need to understand that this idea that you're talking about of marriage, where there's a soul connection with true commitment, this goes all the way back. This is a design feature. It's about how God made you. As we read, he made us male and female. And for this reason, it says, we seek then to be joined to another human so that we would have something that makes us different than what we were individually. We become one flesh. We become more. There's something very powerful. And it is a depth that goes far beyond just hanging out or hooking up sexually. This is about something that is a soul deep level. It is the longing for a connection with someone that runs Absolutely deep. But here's, here's what we know. I would have loved to heard some of your two-word descriptions of marriage. Here's, here's what we know, again, by either experience or observation. This thing that we're pulled for, towards, this deep connection with true commitment, what we would call marriage, it is amazing and beautiful and rewarding, and wonderful, and oh so hard, oh so hard. It is hard work. And all the married people said, it is, it is, it's true, it is hard work. Now, it wasn't always meant to be that way. When God designed us and placed the man and the woman together, it was not to be that way. But as you know the creation story, you know in the beginning when man rejected God's leadership, the creator's leadership, what he did in effect was place all of mankind, the earth, under a curse. And it changed everything. And it makes pretty much everything hard at some level. Look at what I want you to look at what God says to Adam. This is right after Adam and Eve had eaten from the fruit of the tree that God had told them not to. This is right afterwards. God speaks to Adam. I want you to see what he says. So God's speaking. He says, he told the man, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree. Men, that should validate us. I don't know what else to say about that. (laughs) And I'm joking, all right? I'm just joking on that when I realize I'm going to get in trouble. So because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from. Do not eat from this tree. 
Because of that, he says, the very ground is cursed because of you. Getting food from the ground will be as painful as having babies is for your wife. You'll be working in pain all your life. The ground will sprout thorns and weeds, and you'll get your food the hard way, planting and tilling and harvesting and sweating in the fields from dawn to dusk. And so it is. Even with all of our modern technology and all the advancements that we have and everything that we have, so it is. It is hard in this fallen world. Life is hard in this fallen world. And that's in all things, including marriage, which is not wrong and which is not outdated and which is remarkably wonderful and it's filled with wonder's potential. It's an amazing thing. And yet, it is hard work because, because of two things. Because we are broken people living in a cursed world And the truth is, when you put two broken people together, they tend to hurt each other at different times. Because of that, number one, and number two, because there is a spiritual war that happens. Now, I know some of you say, I'm not sure I believe all this spiritual stuff. I don't know if I believe in God. And I respect you. You have to figure that stuff out for yourself. I get that. But if you're a follower of Christ, there's no question that you will believe what Scripture teaches Jesus believed. And Jesus believed that there was an enemy. And this is what he said about him. The enemy comes to steal and kill and destroy. And so he knows that when two become one flesh, that they're actually stronger and better. We're better together than we are separated. So there is actually, and if you're married, you probably already know this, it's like sometimes it feels like there's an absolute attack on your relationship. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's like, you don't, it's like I don't even understand why. Why, why. why are we at such odds? Why is this happening? Because, number one, of the brokenness within us and our selfishness, our base selfishness, and number two, because there is a spiritual war going on. And the truth is, is that it's just Hard work. The Apostle Paul, if you're not familiar with him, he wrote much of the New Testament and he was single. The Apostle Paul watched married people and he saw what it was like for married people. It's hard work. And so at one point, he's, he's like, he's, he's not saying don't marry. He's not saying it's wrong. He's saying, he understands it's in us. We have this longing. Good, go ahead, do it. But he kind of gives a warning. He says, and if you, if you don't feel like you have to, maybe don't. <laughs> He actually writes these words. This is great. This is 1 Corinthians 7, 20. He says, those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And again, and all the married people said, he says, I'd like to spare you that. But at the same time, he acknowledged that this pull within us is a design thing. This is a God thing. So he said, go ahead and get married, but you've got to understand Marriage is hard work. Here's what I can tell you about marriage, both by observation and by my own experience of 40-some years of marriage. Marriage on the dark side has the potential to hurt you more deeply than almost anything else in life can hurt you. To try you, to frustrate you, to anger you more than almost anything else that happens in your life. This is true, and here's why. You see, when you, when you make a connection that runs soul deep, the only way that happens is that you have to remove that which is in front of your soul to protect it. So you take off the armor. The Kevlar comes off. 
the things that you cover up that in everyday life would cause deep wounds to you because it's so difficult. People are always kind of coming at you in different ways, and so you keep that soul protected. But when you move into a relationship where you develop a true soul connection, you remove the armor, and you remove the stuff in front of it, and you get right down to my soul. And that soul, and I don't care how hard you seem on the outside, your soul is sensitive And when you open it up to another human being and they, in frustration or anger or even inadvertently, push in on that soul, it will cause you pain that you feel like none other. The dark side of marriage is is that periodically, as our souls are open to the person that we love and want to share our life with, they will wound us because of their brokenness. And we will hurt in ways that we never have. But here's what I can tell you about the good side of marriage is that it will help you grow and become. It's not just about pure pleasure. It's about how you become and who you become. And it will help you grow into the person that you can be as an individual and as a couple. Listen now. If you do not give up. If you do not give up. And I cannot tell you how important that is. It will bring a depth to your character. It will do something on the inside of you if you do not give up. As Scripture says, and we've read this verse many times at church here, Galatians 6, 9, let us not become weary in doing what? Doing good. For at the right or proper time, we will reap a harvest. Look at these last words. If we do not what? If you don't give up. If you don't give up. See, what you get in marriage is you get someone who knows you at a soul level. And you get someone who knows you in such a way that they can speak or move or touch you in a way that will cause you to quiver with pleasure. They know what brings joy into your heart. They know things that the people at work and the people in your community and the neighborhood and even your friends don't know. They know you at an intimate soul depth level and they can speak to you in a way that can cause you to quiver with pleasure. And then, and sometimes it's two minutes later, they can speak to you in a way that makes you shiver with anger. Come on, is that true? And they They tell you something because they know you, that they see in you, that you don't want to hear, though you may need to hear it, because they're the one person that sees you at soul depth, and they speak to that which is real, and you need that in your life. You know, it's always funny, because I spend a fair amount of time with men talking about spiritual things, and whenever I ask the question, and I've done this so many times, do you have someone that can speak to you that knows you well and that can speak what you need to hear but might not want to hear. And it's like, I don't know if it's every time, but it's darn near every time that the guy's married, he'll just go, yeah, my wife. And the way he says it is like, I wish it wasn't so, but yes, my stinking wife does seem to know me and speak to things like that. And I look at them and I say, and that's as it should be. You actually need that in your life. And yet, it makes you 
angry sometimes and it makes you feel resentful. But you need someone who will speak truth that you will never otherwise see, who can see your soul and speak honestly to you. Marriage, when it's at its best, has amazing highs and remarkably difficult lows. And in the end, and you may say this is kind of a sad commentary on marriage, and it isn't, but in the end, great marriages that don't miss this, they are hard work. Because what they do is they take you beyond the place where it just feels good to the place where you really can grow, where you really can develop in your life. If you do not give up, And so I want to say to you clearly, I'm unapologetic about this, that I am in total agreement with what Jesus said. I believe that what God has joined together should not be separated. I'm an advocate for staying in a marriage, even when it's hard. Now let me clarify, I feel like I always have to do this, but I do not advocate for people to stay in a relationship where there is physical abuse and battering. I'm not saying that. I believe that boundaries sometimes have to be established that are difficult and painful. But I advocate and advocate and push for people to stay. Because I believe that what you can experience if you stay will not happen if you give up. And this happens so often in life. Now, It is true that at times we work really hard and because we cannot make our mate be who we want them to be, sometimes they just quit and walk away. And you can't stop that. And I understand that. Sometimes you simply cannot stop it. But whenever I have a chance to have a voice into a marriage, I will say this and I will say it and I will do it unapologetically. Stay. Stay. And there are reasons for that. Stay, even when it's really hard. Now, again, let me back up and say something here. I understand that some of you are feeling kind of condemned right now because there's lots of people listening to this in this room, watching online, whatever, and, and you've been divorced. And what I want you to understand is that this is not a place of condemnation or guilt. We're not, I'm not coming down on you because I like what somebody has said. You know, the past is like eggs, you can't unscramble them once they're scrambled. You know, it's, it's about where you are right now. I don't care about where you were yesterday or the day before. And I know some of you are coming off of a hellacious relationship and divorce and you're in terrible pain. And I actually pray for you. I pray that you find healing. I don't want to bring condemnation. I really don't. In fact, I, I would tell you, if you're, if you're in a place like that, I would tell you that we're just starting another season of support for those who are struggling from the pain of divorce. And we have a a group called Divorce Recovery, and it's just starting up. You can read about it in the handouts you were given. You can find out more about it out at the Next Step area. But I think I've heard from so many people how much help they've received from that kind of a support group. But I would just say to all of us, no matter where you're at in life, you are going to hit hard work times in your relationships, and especially in marriage. And if you're not in a group with small people, what we call a life group, you should be. You should be. 
Because there you find encouragement and affirmation to do the things that are right instead of the things that you get from the people at work that say, well, you should just dump him, get rid of him, find somebody that makes you happy. You get that kind of things from people that don't really care about you, but people in a small group with you will say sometimes the things that you don't want to hear but you do need to hear. And if you're not in a life group, I challenge you to be in one. and Check out the next step area. But for everyone who is married or will be, I want you to hear me. It is hard work. And it is painful at times. And yet I challenge you, it is worth the fight. Stay. I ask you, please stay. And God is at work growing you. And I ask you to consider the words of Jesus. And let me just just put them up here and let you see them one more time again. Because I think you need to think about this. He says, therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. I just, I don't know how else to say it. Stay. Don't talk about divorce. Can I just encourage you married couples? Don't threaten each other. Don't say, if things don't change around here, if you don't treat me differently, I'm out of here. We're divorced. Don't even use the D word. Just say, we are in this. I remember this is years ago, but Ann and I were in a conference, and the preacher there had every married couple stand up and turn and look at each other, and then they had to say real loud, we're stuck. (laughs) Want to know the truth? There are so many times in our 40 plus years of marriage when I've thought, I don't know how this can work. I don't know how I can ever be happy. And I know, you're like, you're a preacher and you're saying that? You don't have to be anybody. You just have to be married and you will say that. But when you understand, I am here, it does change how you walk out your days. It does not mean it won't be hard work. It does not mean it's pain, not painful. It does, but it changes how you do your days. And it is worth, and I'm telling you, it is worth fighting for. You know, there are a thousand bits of helpful advice that I could give you about marriage. There's so much good stuff on marriage out there. I'm not going to give you a thousand. I'm going to actually just give you a couple thoughts. And I want to preface these two simple thoughts by by saying first to you this, this, this statement, this is real simple, and some of you, this is the thing you'll walk away with, that the only way that you help your marriage improve is by working on you. Now, I'm going to expound on that in a moment. But this right here, this is good preaching, baby, right here. Because it's true. It's true. Let's just, let's just talk about it for a moment. And, and this is one of my two points, and that, that is, is that if you want your marriage work to work, if you really want it to happen, you have to learn that you absolutely have to own yourself. And what I mean by that is, is that you stop making excuses and complaining and, 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 and in effect blaming the problems on the person that you're married to. Now, I understand why you do it. I do it too. But let's just be honest here. What we really need to do if we want our relationship to grow is we need to own our responses, our actions, our behaviors, because really the truth is, is that you can't change them. Some of you heard me talk about this, but in the early years of my marriage with Ann, I didn't think we were going to make it. I just, I didn't, I, you know, I hadn't heard some of the stuff I've learned, and, 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 and I'd seen so many other people break up, and it's just like we loved each other, but we just hurt each other so much, and we were going to this church, and and the gal who was a the pastor there, Jean Tulip, she was a real a friend of mine. She was like a mother to me. And 
I remember calling her, and it was late one night, and I called her and I said, did I wake you up? And she's like, well, no, I'm awake now, you know, or whatever. And I said, can I just talk to you for a minute? And she's like, yeah. And so I just spewed all this hurt and anger and frustration. And I, told, and I just told her all the bad stuff Anne had done, and the list was long. <laughs> and I really thought she was with me on it because she's going, oh, yeah, mm, yeah. And I got, finally, I got done. I just, all this vitriol comes out, you know, and I, finally I've regurgitated everything I could think of. And I get done, and I'm sure she's on my side now because of all her positive kind of murmurs that were happening in the conversation. I'm sure she understood now that I had somehow mistakenly married the devil, and that's the problem. <laughs> and so I got all done, and I just said to her, so Jean, what are we going to do about Anne? <laughs> I said that. And I will never forget her response. She said, we're not going to do anything about Anne because you can't change her, but you can change you. So let's talk about what we're going to do about you. You want to know what I thought? I didn't say it. I'm not going to tell you. I'm not even going to say it now. She was right. And I know, I know I can hear some of you saying, dude, really? So I'm just supposed to stay in this relationship and keep him who doesn't bother to listen to me, who doesn't seem to care enough to show any interest in me, I'm just supposed to stay in this and let him behave that way? I'm supposed to stay, let her be this cold, withholding person? Well, actually, yes. Because, because you can't change them anyhow. I mean, come on. You all know that's true, right? Let me just ask the married couples. How you doing on changing your husband or wife? How you doing? Anybody want to stand up and say, he's a perfect man now. He was a jerk when I married him, but I've worked with him. I got, no, it ain't working that way. He's still a jerk. And all the wives said, I won't ask you to do that. I shouldn't have done that really, but it doesn't work. You have to own yourself. You own you because you cannot change them. Now, I'm not saying what they do or don't do doesn't matter. I'm not saying that it's not painful or difficult and that it's, it, it's something you just have to ignore. I, don't, I, I know we have to communicate, but I think the problem that we have is, is that we spend so much time going, you know, you just, you need to, why won't you? And we're always looking at their thing instead of turning and looking. You won't change them, but you can change you, to be honest with you, this is maybe one of the hardest things that I do in my life. Not just in my marriage, but when I'm frustrated or angry or hurt by somebody, all I can think about is their stuff. Come on, anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, am I at an angel convention or something here? It's all I want to think about is the hurt that they've caused me. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I know you do. I know you do. Listen, if I could give you one tidbit, one simple thing, that you could take with you and stop doing or even thinking, it would be these words. If you would only, and then you fill in the rest. Stop it. Just stop it. For two reasons. Number one, just saying this. This is not some kind of nice communication. If you would, this is not saying, 
You know what encourages me is when you, no, no, this is an accusation. If you would only just listen to me when I speak, if you would only just stop, if you would only, really it's not about trying to resolve. It is you ventilating your frustration. Number one, it doesn't work because it's an attack. It's not anything that's going to bring health. And number two, if you would only doesn't work, is because you don't mean it anyhow. Really? If you would only, just this one thing? How many of you believe if your husband or wife says to you, if you would only, they mean, if you just do this, everything's going to be fine from here on out. There's no end to the onlys we want. There's no end to them. Just stop saying it. Just, just take it out of your vocabulary. Take it out of your thinking. Because it's not about them. It's about me. I have to own me. That's all I can do. You know, we have a, a, a really a good book that covers some of this stuff that can be very helpful. It's, it's a book called His Needs, Her Needs. We have it out in the bookstore here at the Hastings campus. And, and you know, you may want to pick this up. It's, it's very helpful. There's a lot of people have found help from this. A funny, funny story about this is that I asked Erica Schaefer, who's on staff, if she would get these books for me so that we could have them at all our campuses and everything. She, she said, sure. And so uh, this last week I emailed her and I said, I'm just checking to make sure you got that. And I was just being abbreviating, you know, I just make sure you got the His Needs books there and they're at all the places. And she emailed me back and said, I sent all the His Needs books back and I got Her Needs books and they're in the bookstore. <laughs> Touche, right there. That's awesome. But it can be very helpful. It can be very helpful. So you may want to consider something like that. All right, one more thought real quick. Is that not only do you have to own yourself but I think one of the things that can help us so much in marriage is if we understand seasons. The life um, is really in so many ways comprised of seasons. So I'm, uh, I, didn't, I don't know if you know this, but I actually have a medical degree. I just preach kind of on the side and I'm really smart and everything. And so I want to give a mass diagnosis because you may not know this, but you're sick. And I can diagnose you with, with, with what the problem is, or at least one of them. you got way more than I can diagnose now, but, but, but just one of them. And this is for everybody. You, you, you're afflicted with something called SAD. And most of you are probably familiar with this. This is actually a thing. This is actually a diagnosis. It stands for uh, seasonal affective disorder. And the idea behind it is, is that there are things that happen in people's lives seasonally. So... So this happens, you know, during a certain time of the year, and it'll, I'll just come back to it, and I get discouraged. I get depressed. I get down. because, And often people associate it with winter, of course. This, this means it could happen in seasons. It could be different seasons. But most people relate it to, you know, it's gray, it's winter, it's cold. I'm not getting enough sun and vitamin D and all that stuff. But, I, you know, I, I, this sounds horrible, but I always, <laughs> my attitude about this diagnosis was always like, duh, everybody has that. Because life has seasons. Life has seasons. Like your emotions is your life. You have seasons where you're up and you have seasons where you're down. Come on, is that true? And when you're in the down seasons, you think you're never going to get out. You think they're hell. You think they're the end of your life. But it is a season. And I don't know why we're not smart in this. I don't know why I'm not. Because I hit these seasons and I just feel like, oh, it's never going to end. My life is coming to an end and all that. And it's like, if I look back over my life, I see that I've had so many seasons where there was some gray and there was some dark. But I came through it. And that 
happens in marriage the same way. You have seasons. It's just like your emotions. Sometimes you're up and sometimes you're down. Some of you have heard me talk about this. Sometimes I'll wake up. I'll be laying in the bed in the morning as I wake up. I, I wake up pretty cheery, you know. I wake up and I roll over and I look at my wife lying next to me and she just looks angelic and I just, she's just peaceful laying there sleeping and I just think, oh God, you blessed me with the most amazing woman. I just feel rich and then I hop out of bed and go about my day feeling so positive. And then there are seasons when I wake up and I look over at her, she's asleep, and then she goes, like that, (laughs) rolls her head over, blows morning breath on my face, and I'm like, oh, God, this woman you gave me, no wonder everything is hard. My life is hard. Everybody has seasons. The truth about seasons is that this too shall Come on, this too shall. But this is what we so often do, and this is the crazy thing we do. I talked about this last weekend. If you weren't here last weekend, it wasn't about marriage, but you should listen to it because it does talk about marriage and relationships. We get into this place in our lives where we have a little gray, and so what we do is we just paint everything gray. But it's not true. It's not true. It is a season, and it is hard. And it is painful, but what you do is you walk out of it. And so what you do in it is you become the kind of person that says, I don't like this. It really hurts. This is really a hard season. But I do not quit. And this is exactly what Scripture teaches us in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13. It says, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes. It doesn't say if the day of evil comes. It says when it comes because there's lots of days of evil that come in lives. There are seasons of evil. When the day of evil comes, you may be able to what? Stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. So what it means is, is that you put on the armor of God. In other words, you focus on you. You understand this is how it works in life. And you stand. And even when you've done everything you know to do and it looks like it's not working, you stand. And I know some people are like, Jeff, you don't understand. It's so difficult. It's so painful right now. And, and, and I, I'm, I'm never going to be happy. Can I just say to you, that's just not true. But so often the reason we never get happy is because we pull the plug instead of standing. So I just want to say to you again, stay. Stay. And I understand at times it can be painful. But I'm telling you, It is worth the fight. And there is something rich and good and wholesome in marriage. Stay. Stay. 